0: Hey, Mountain, it's good to be together. Uh, whether, whatever campus you're at, if you're watching online, uh, it's good to be together. My name is Jared Fox, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, you might be wondering why I'm sitting at a table, but I do wanna welcome you to my table. Uh, you're gonna find out why. I've got a long answer to your question, okay? We're in the middle of this series called Surprise the World. It's all about us forming and building habits that come across as surprising to the people that we come in contact with, that we interact with. I wanna start by asking you a question. How many of you all have ever received a surprise? And all of our campuses, put your hands up, nice and high, if you've received a surprise before. But a lot of us, right? I actually really love surprises. I don't love receiving surprises. I know part of this is my own pride issue, uh, but I'm not the biggest fan of actually receiving a surprise. It drives my wife crazy. She'll try to get me a gift or surprise me in some sort of special and meaningful way, and I almost always seem to undercut it, right? I'll either go out and buy the thing for myself or I ask enough questions and weasel my way into the conversation to be able to ruin the surprise. But I really love surprising other people. There's something amazing about seeing the reaction of surprise. I love seeing people's faces when they get surprised by somebody else. And over the past few months, I've actually been surprising my son over and over and over again. And I wanted to show, I thought, what better way to express what the face of surprise looks like than maybe to show you this, because I've actually been documenting it. So check it out. Ah! I love it. Every single time, I love it. And I gotta tell you, I know some of you are gonna be a little bit salty that I'm doing that to my son. You don't think it's fair. You don't think it's nice. But I gotta tell you something. He started it, okay? It was, it was outside my bedroom a few months ago that I walked out one morning groggy, and there he was, ah, scaring me, right? So I've just been giving it back to him. And if you're still, you know, that doesn't satisfy your discomfort with me, go on and shoot me an email. I'd love to discuss it, ben at mountain.org. All right, send it on over. Let's start a dialogue. All right, there, there is something fun, something life-giving, something exciting about seeing the face of a real surprise, a good surprise. When you get to see that something someone did, maybe something you did, brought joy and happiness to someone's life, changed their life in a way, and you get to witness the expression when you see the surprise and, and the way that it impacted someone, there's something special about that. You know, because of the great generosity of mountain people through our Easter offering, uh, we've been able to surprise some folks. We're planting a couple of churches, which we're really excited about, but we've also been able to go out and just bless some people right here in our community. And I want to show you once again what the face of surprise looks like. Check this out. Tracy and I are going to be blessing Lucy and her grandson. Um, She's been going through a lot, and she's in my faith seekers group on Thursday mornings. She's an awesome lady. Love her to death. Surprise! I admire you so much, and we just want to bless you as a group at So Thank you. And Lucy, I'm just here to represent Mountain because we're doing these Sir blessings, and you've been a blessing to so many people. You've been a caregiver to Logan, a caregiver to so many, and have even led. Uh, women in these groups and have just loved so well you've been faithful for so many years to the call of caregiving and with the loss of your father and this move that really is maybe going to be a little difficult as you settle Logan into a new environment uh, we wanted to bless you so this is a $500 gift card to Home Depot from Mountain to say we love you God loves you Thank you mm-hmm and we want to encourage you and gift you with that. So, Thank you are so... You've been a neighbor of Mountain for a long time. Yeah, I have been a neighbor since 1947 was when we bought the property. Okay, that's a long time. Anybody Dr. The... Walker was my best friend. Oh, we know it's been kind of hard lately. You've had some rough goes. Um, so we started thinking, well, what does Helen love to do? You love music, you love theater. So we decided to come and give you a couple tickets to Sight and Sound because oh. we don't want you to go by yourself. We want you to be able to take a friend with you. We think that'd oh, be a whole lot more fun. Oh, that would be wonderful. Uh, oh my goodness. So Thank you kindly. We have a couple tickets for you for a day out just to, um, have fun and enjoy it. Thank you so much, Carla. I love Jarrett. Uh, he's been in our group for a couple years. He went on CIY with us. And um, his mom and dad sadly got divorced a couple years ago. And uh, and then his dad had to move to Texas. So we wanted to do something special for him. Um, and surprise him. Surprise! Okay, because it's cold, we wanted to send you to Texas. Where it's warmer, to see your dad. So now Christian's going to send you to Texas to see your dad. What do you think? <laughs> Love you, buddy. <laughs> you open it up. Same one. Wow, I should Isn't that awesome? It is. It is so fun to surprise. And I love Jared's reaction because he has the physical proof right there in front of him. He has the envelope with the the gift certificate in it, yet he still pauses, right? He's like, he's so overcome with surprise that he has the physical proof, but maybe the joy and the excitement, he still disbelieves just a little bit, right? There's something about surprising people. We don't show you this to pat ourselves on the back, no. We show it to you to be an inspiration and a motivation. This is stuff that we can all do. Each and every single one of us can go and be surprising. But why would we want to? Well, it starts with Jesus, right? It's Jesus' surprise to us, the greatest surprise in all of history. We just celebrated a couple of weeks ago at, at Easter. We saw Jesus go into the grave. Can you imagine the faces of the people who experienced the post-resurrection of Jesus Christ? Like at one moment, they see him alive, Think about it, Jesus' mother, his friends, his disciples, they see it, they witness it. They watched him take his last breath. They see his body wrapped and put into a tomb. They watched it happen, they experienced it, but then they see him alive again. Long story short, there's Jesus standing in front of them and their reaction is a lot like Jared's. Here's what it says in Luke 24. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, Right? They couldn't not believe due to lack of evidence. He was standing right there in front of them, yet they still had trouble accepting Jesus' resurrection because it seemed like something that was too good to be true. We're supposed to go out and live that kind of surprising life, the kind where people look at us and say, this has got to be too good to be true. Think about the faces of those who interacted with Jesus. Jaws dropped, eyes wide, tongues out. Probably some excited, some terrified, some dumbfounded. The power of our surprise starts with the power of Jesus's surprise. We live questionable, surprising lives because that's how Jesus lived and we follow his lead. And like Ben said last week, Jesus is calling you and me to live surprising lives, to live a questionable life. And the grave was just one very important and extreme example of that. But we know all throughout Jesus's life, he lived out simple, small habits that we can all encompass and put in our lives that will continue to surprise people each and every single day. So let me ask you a question. When people interact with you, are they surprised? Are you just blending in or are you standing out and reflecting the questionable life of Jesus? You see, in Matthew five, Jesus tells us that we are supposed to be salt and light. Salt is the thing that makes things taste good, right? We as Christians, as Christ followers, are supposed to bring be the ones who bring the stuff that make this life taste good. You can't eat a meal that has salt in it and not know that there is salt in it, right? You taste it, it stands out. And in the same way, we're supposed to be light. Ephesians five talks about this. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light and the Lord live. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. That's what this is all about. It's living as children in the light, living lives that are so questionable and surprising that people just can't help but ask, what is it about that person that's so different? Giving us then the opportunity to explain it to them. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the way he's impacted our life. It's living as children of light in a dark world taking advantage of the opportunity to show people there's something better than the darkness. You know, there's no greater contrast than light entering into a dark room, and that's how we're called to live. And so to live as children of light, we're talking about five habits that might come across and seem surprising. These habits will shape our spiritual life if we're willing to invest in them. But it does take an investment. They're habits that will help us to be children of light. And last week, Ben talked about habit number one, the habit of blessing. And I hope you took that, and I hope you took advantage of the opportunity to go and to bless three people, whether it was with words of affirmation, gifts, or acts of kindness. And as you did, as you blessed, I hope you got to see the face of surprise. A bunch of us here, we went out to uh, eat at La Tulteca this week, and at the end of the meal, we're like, hey, let's just kind of bless this waiter. Let's give him a real big tip, right? And so we pull him over, and we say, I just wanted to bless you. Here you go. I hand him the receipt, the tip's written on it. And as I give it to him, here's what happens. His eyes get real big are you serious? I said, no, no. I took it back. And I was, yeah, of course we're serious, right? We want to bless you. We want to be a blessing to you. It surprised him. It caught him off guard. And you saw him walk away and start to tell others. It's like, I hope they don't come too. We're out of money. But you know, there's something about the act of surprise. People get excited about it. If you were here last week, you heard about blessing. If you weren't here on Easter, I'd encourage you to go back these last couple of weeks and catch up play some catch up and get the homework done and get caught up because I think it'll be worth your time. It's fun to bless people. It's fun to make them think twice. It's fun to make them ask questions. And this week we're talking about the habit of eating. Yeah, eating. That's why I'm sitting at a table, right? And I know what you're thinking probably like, well, eating is, it's not all that surprising. I I do it every single day, several times a day. What's the big deal? But hold up one second. You know, you know, that's not true. You know, there, there can be something surprising about a table. There could be something surprising about a meal. There could be something surprising about food. After all, if you rewind the tape of your life, you'll probably recall some pretty big moments in your life that happened around a table. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Easter together, right? And as we celebrated Easter, more than likely afterwards you left and you went and you sat around a table and you had an Easter meal. And maybe grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, friends were there and you enjoyed the presence, and you made a memory that will last. I know for me, if I rewind the tape, about 13 years, I find myself at a restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky called Buck's. My girlfriend, Sarah, was there and my mother was coming to meet us, uh, but she happened to have gotten stuck in traffic. And as we're sitting there and the waiter comes over to take our order, and the background, the piano player starts to play our song, It's Your Love by Tim McGraw. We're from Kentucky, a little bit redneck, no judging, okay? And as the song comes on, my wife takes notice, she hears it, she kind of perks up, that's yeah, our song. And the waiter comes over and puts down in front of her a wine glass, and she was only 20 at that time, so it was full of soda, and on it, it was written the words, Sarah, will you marry me? All right, turn that song off. You're me cry, okay? <laughs> it was a surprise. And it's a surprise that keeps surprising us today. And it was about eight years ago that I sat across the table from my parents, and I told them that they were going to be grandparents. a surprise. You know, as we think about our lives on the table, we can think of some big moments, some big surprises that happened around the table. But not all of them were big moments, but they still can have a lasting impact in our lives, right? They're not all big milestone moments. Even simple moments can lead to a big surprise. It was around a table in middle school, not at all like this one. It felt like more of something out of a a prison, right? This long table, kids packed in right in front of me, this paper plate with cardboard pizza. It was a delectable meal, right? And across from me were three guys, Ben, Dan, and Wes. And it was at that meal that a friendship started. And they're still my best friends to this day. A simple meal made a profound impact. My wife and I were down in Timonium this week for an appointment. And while we were down there, we decided to stop and try a new restaurant, something we like to do often. And while we were eating, we watched these elderly gentlemen walk up one by one and uh, they, were, they were very noticeable. As they came up, they would shake hands and hug and be big and audacious, right? They, they were loud to say the least. And then as they all get there, about 10 of them, they go in and they get their meal and they come back out and they sit down at the table right next to us. And I gotta tell you, they enjoyed their meal I'm not sure I did because I heard every conversation they had, but they laughed and they had fun. You could tell it was this reunion from a previous life of them coming together and hanging out and celebrating and sharing stories. Big, important moments happen around a very simple meal. It was around a meal a couple of years ago that I got the opportunity to sit down with a friend and pray for him who was struggling with an alcohol addiction. And just this past week, it was around a meal that I sat down with my son and we talked through some hard stuff that was happening at school. And I got the opportunity to give him some coaching. See the table, a lot of big and important stuff happens at the table, happens at a meal. At the table, memories are made, tears are shed, jokes are told, arguments are provoked and they're also resolved. Announcements are made, significant moments are celebrated, acquaintances become friends, and strangers become family. Whether it's a feast or a simple bread and toast, the table is actually a symbol of God's hospitality. I don't know if you know this or not, but the idea of a table isn't something that's unique to us. The act of eating together is actually a central Christian practice since the very beginning of our movement. And what if I told you in our fast food culture that the table is actually a profoundly theological practice. Eating together is profound in so many ways because the act of a meal well demonstrates and shows us the very character of God. Let me ask you a question. I'm gonna ask you to participate. You're gonna to turn to the, next, to the person next to you, okay? And I want you to answer a question. This is a statement that we see over and over again throughout the New Testament, but there's actually three ways that it's used in line with the statement I'm about to put on the screen here, and I want you to finish it. Okay, so here it is. Turn to the person next to you and finish this phrase, whatever comes to mind. The son of man came, dot, dot, dot. The son of man being Jesus. The son of man came, dot, dot, dot. Finish that statement. Turn to somebody really quickly. You got 10 seconds, go. All right, you got it? I hope you do, okay? The Son of Man is the name that Jesus gave to himself. He actually took it from the book of Daniel. It's an apocalyptic type term. You would expect it to have some really weighty, heavy meaning to it. If Jesus is saying the Son of Man came, and this is Jesus saying it about himself in the three instances we're going to talk about. If he's saying this about himself, you expect it to mean something big. It's actually a term that was used 88 times throughout the New Testament, but only three times in this way, and here they are. Okay, the first one, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Some of you are like, "Hey, I got that right. I knew that one, right? This is what we care about. This is the important, this is what our faith is based on, the fact that we have a God who came to serve us, to give his life for us, not to be served, but to serve, right? There's one way that he uses it. He uses it, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, thank God he did because he sought and saved me. And a lot of us feel that way. We experience that. These first two, man, they mean a lot, don't they? They say a lot about the character of God. But there's a third way that it's used. And this one, well, this one might actually come off a tad bit surprising. He came to seek and to save. He came not to be served, but to serve. And the son of man also came eating and drinking. Those are the three ways that Jesus describes what he came to this world to do. A little bit surprising, right? Like the first two, oh, of course, but the third one, really? And an author kind of describes this to us in a really beautiful way. What he says is the first two describe Jesus' mission. He came. To serve, he came to seek and to save those who were lost. And the third statement Jesus makes about himself tells us his method, his strategy, the way that he was going to accomplish the mission. And it is beautiful and something we need to see and know and own. To Christ followers, here's the deal. The table should be a primary symbol of who we are. Should, the table should be a primary place that we consider the place that we worship because the son of man came eating and drinking. The table well, represents hospitality, inclusiveness, generosity, and grace. Or at least it should. I'd invite you to examine your table and decide whether or not those things are present there. Because I have a feeling that for most Christ followers, our primary symbol of our faith is a pulpit or a screen. Symbolizing that our job is to sit and listen and sing. And while that's important, this hour of the week matters. This hour of the week is meant just to prepare us to send us out so that we can worship where worshiping really counts. And I got to tell you, the primary symbol, the primary place of worship for Christ followers, according to Jesus, is at the table, it's at a meal, it's eating and drinking. You know, the reason for this is quite simple. Because the son of man came eating and drinking his way through the gospels and it surprised the world. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. If you've got a friend who wants to go visit New York or Philly or D.C., what what do you say? Like, hey, can you give me some advice on where to go? I know what my wife always says, okay? This isn't a judgment to her character, but here's what she'd say. She'd say, oh, you could just eat your way through New York, right? You could just eat your way through Philly. You could just eat your way through D.C., right? Like food is something we care a lot about. And I think Jesus might've actually been the inventor of this phrase because he literally ate his way through the gospels. I mean, the book of Luke is like a food network show where Jesus is the star. He's either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Jesus, the way that he ate, it was relational, it was spiritual, as well as digestible. You see, the table naturally brings people together. It's a place of hospitality. It's about so much more than just sustaining us physically. It's about sustaining us spiritually. And if we're supposed to foster the same sort of habits that Jesus did. If we're supposed to be like Jesus, then we should follow his example in every single area of our life, especially in the area of eating. After all, some of Jesus's most meaningful moments happened around a meal. Shortly after Jesus had resurrected from the dead, a story we all know, right? Uh, he appears to his disciples. He actually appears, appears once, he appears twice. Then on the third time, he shows up on the beach well, his disciples were hungry, so they got in a boat and they went out into the water and they cast a net on the left side of their boat. And as Jesus walks out onto the beach, they'd been out there a long time. Jesus shows up and he yells out, hey guys, what are you doing? Oh, we're fishing. Oh, try the nets on the other side. I think you'll have more luck. And all of a sudden it's like Peter finally heard the voice and thought, oh, that's the Lord, that's Jesus. And he turns around and sees him, he actually says he put on his robe, dove into the water and took off to Jesus. And the rest of the disciples, after they had moved the nets, finally catch on to what's going on. And they turn around and they see, oh, that is Jesus. And they turn the boat and they start to go into the shore. And as they do, their nets fill up with fish. And they get off the boat and they all huddle up around Jesus. And at this moment, we hear some of Jesus' most profound words in all of the New Testament. Here's what he says. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Come, let's have breakfast. That's not exactly what we expected, is it? You see, Jesus knew the importance of a meal. He knew the importance of being around the table. One of his first instincts after revealing himself was to sit down with the guys that he loved and have a meal. I guess it either takes a lot of work to raise from the dead and Jesus is really hungry, or Jesus knew there was some serious spiritual value in sitting around the table you can imagine, right, these were Jesus' best friends. They were his disciples. He spent a lot of time with them. They probably spent a lot of time eating together. But one of the things I know about Jesus is that he didn't just eat with his friends. It's actually one of the things that drove the, the religious folks the most crazy. It's not just the fact that Jesus associated with sinners, but it's also the fact that he sat down to eat with sinners, I mean, picture this, right? In Jesus's day, uh, the, the table demonstrated social acceptance. It was a closely guarded privilege, not something that was offered lightly to sit down and have a meal with someone. Table fellowship expressed social order, actually segregated people. Romans wouldn't eat with Jews and Jews had too many food laws to follow anyways. It'd be like going to a barbecue restaurant with a vegan, right? It's just not worth your time. Yet Jesus... Changes things because at that table, insiders and outsiders were very clear. But at Jesus' tables, there were no insiders or outsiders because at Jesus' table, the outsiders become insiders. Jesus used hospitality to disrupt the social norm, to call his followers to live in a radical way. The table that Jesus sat at, you gotta get this, it was used to show the social norm of the kingdom of God. And here it is. No insiders, no outsiders, just people who are loved by Jesus. Jesus didn't use the table to climb some social ladder. Rather, his hospitality had demonstrated compassion, inclusion, and acceptance. Let me show you what I mean. Let's walk through the Food Network documentary of the book of Luke. In Luke chapter five, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's house. In chapter seven, he's anointed by a sinful woman while reclining and having a meal at the home of a Pharisee. In Luke nine, he's got this big group of 5,000 people together and they were hungry, so he decided to throw a party and he fed them all, people of all different backgrounds all together. In chapter 10, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha. In chapter 11, he eats with some Pharisees. In chapter 14, while around a meal, he urges people to invite the poor to their meals, not just their friends. And one of my favorite moments of Jesus eating his way through the Gospels has to be in Luke chapter 19, where Jesus comes into contact with this guy named Zacchaeus. He's passing through Jericho, just trying to get through. But at this point, folks knew who Jesus was. And the crowds, they would start to gather around him wherever he went. The rumors were buzzing about this Jesus guy, and people would show up. And we read it here. It says, a man was there in the crowd named Zacchaeus. Now, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was so short and he couldn't see over the crowd, he ran ahead and he climbed a tree. Since Jesus was coming that way. Now, here's what you need to know about Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. And tax collectors would have been hated by the Jews. They would have been enemies of the Jews. See, tax collectors, they worked for the oppressive Roman government. And they would come in and they would take the taxes. But then they would take a little bit more and just kind of pocket them themselves. That's the way they made their living. They were enemies of the Jews. Yet here he is, this tax collector, hearing about this Jew, this guy named Jesus. And all he wanted to do was just get a little peek. Say what this guy is all about. Something interesting to note here, at this point in Jesus's ministry, he's lived in such a radically surprising way that people literally crowd around him just to get a glimpse and see what all the fuss is about. Even the chief tax collector was willing to embarrass himself by climbing a tree just to see him. And here's what happens next. It says, when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and he said to him, hey, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Now, you may not know this about first century uh, hospitality, but when someone stayed at your house, it meant you were gonna have a meal. It meant you were gonna sit at a table. If someone's coming to your home, you are going to eat together. It's the way that it goes. You sit around a table and so Jesus shows up. He sees this guy Zacchaeus up in a tree and he knows that Zacchaeus needs to be at his table. So he stops what he's doing. He takes time out of his busy schedule. He looks up into the tree and he says, hey, yo, Zacchaeus, get down here. Let's go get a steak. Right, that's my translation. Jesus knew the importance of the table, but let's not forget how surprising Zacchaeus' response is as well. You imagine the situation. Jesus shows up and he looks at you and he says, hey, Jared, I'm coming to your house. We're gonna have, we're gonna have a meal. You know what I'm, I'm gonna be like, hey, Sarah, I've got a quick question. Have you mopped recently or vacuumed? I know I didn't get to before I left today. I hope you have. You got like a pot roast on. If you could do me a favor, all the darts and dart guns, if you could pick those up, not sure what Jesus is gonna think about that. Just get those out of the way, put them under Isaac's bed. I would be freaking out, right? I would be panicking. I'd be like, oh my goodness, I am not ready to receive this guy. Yet, what does Zacchaeus do? He welcomes him gladly because people wanted to eat with Jesus. People wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. But not everyone was happy about this. It says, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Well, the Jew, he's eating with a tax collector. What's that about? It's surprising. It surprised everyone around him, but Jesus just simply did not care because he knew that his method to advance the mission was going to be to sit down across the table, face to face with people who needed to hear and know the good news that Jesus had to bring. The method to advance the mission was going to be a meal. And it was in that moment that Zacchaeus' life changed forever. It was an invitation to a meal where Zacchaeus decided he was gonna repay everybody that he had taken from, even more than he had taken. It's where he said, you know, my sinful life, I'm going to course correct. I'm now going to strive to overcome the things that I do that are not the things of the Lord. That happened around a meal, around a table. And Jesus celebrates the power of a meal. And he says today, Today of all days, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, you remember that? He came to seek and save the lost. And he did a whole lot of it, eating meals with people. Now the table, it is a powerful tool of worship. We see with Jesus that the table is actually the great equalizer. When you sit down at a table with anyone, with a friend, with someone who's like you, someone who's not like you, a stranger, we start to discover the beautiful humanity of all people. You know, we share stories, we share hopes, we share dreams, we share victories, we share defeats. There's something about the table that knocks down the walls of insecurities. It knocks down the walls of racial divide, of socioeconomic divide. It knocks down the walls of even faith divide. And as you sit around a table, people start to open up and express themselves in a way that no other venue or setting will allow. And it gives us as people who follow Jesus, who are Christ's followers, to also open up and share the good news and the truth about what the Lord is doing in our lives. See, this idea of table fellowship, it was Jesus's idea. It was by his example. And the early church knew that, and they decided to live it out too. In Acts 2, we see this example of the early church kind of given to us, a way that we're supposed to live. Here it is. It says in Acts two forty-two, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles and all the believers. They were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Man, that sounds a lot like blessing, doesn't it? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread and their home and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people of all people. And the Lord well he added to their number daily those who were being saved. Y'all this is stuff that we can do. Right? I mean we can bless we can eat and we can do it strategically. We can worship God at the table. And as we worship God at the table, what we're gonna start to see is that the Lord is going to add to the number daily those who are being saved, those who are being welcomed into the kingdom of God. Lives will be changed, lives will be restored because God gave us the simple and beautiful tool of a table. And here's the best part. We all have access to a table. You go around any corner and you're going to see a restaurant where there is a table. And I'm willing to bet, I mean, hold on. I know this is far-fetched and this might be crazy, but I am willing to bet that the large majority of people also have access to a table in their home. (sighs) What? The question is, are you going to use it as the symbol it is, as the tool that it is to worship? and express the hospitality of God and surprise the world. So there it is. Go eat and drink. I've got some homework for you, okay? The teacher's about to offer an assignment, so get out your notepad. You're going to write this down. This is what you're going to do this week. Remember, these are habits that we're forming, so we're going to do them. Homework piece number one, go and bless three people this week. That's not what we were talking about today. I did that last week. Remember, this is compounding. We're trying to form habits, not one off assignment. So go out and bless three more people this week. And while you're at it, go and eat with three people as well. Don't come in all charged up with some sort of theological agenda. Okay, don't go in preaching or trying to convert. Don't frame up some apologetic argument for the existence of God. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, I want you to eat, and I just want you to be, be with people. Get to know people and see how God uses a meal, uses your habit of eating to surprise and change the world. Eat with one person who you go to church with. Jesus knew the importance of eating with people in your circle, okay? Also, go and eat with one person who you don't go to church with. Jesus also knew that eating with people outside of the circle would actually work to expand the circle. And while you're at it, eat with a third person, your choice, Maybe it's a friend you haven't seen in a while. Maybe it's somebody who you know just needs a meal, but find three people and eat with them. And I already know what you're thinking. Like, Jared, you don't know how busy I am. I don't have time for this. Good news, yes, you do, because you already eat 21 meals a week. I'm just asking you to be strategic with three of them. And if you're still concerned about the time, just bring three people to one meal. Make it happen. Go and eat with some people. Change your lunch routine, invite a coworker to sit with you. Maybe brown bag it in the lunchroom at your office. Teenagers, oh my goodness, sit at a different lunch table. The middle school lunchroom is one place where I feel like the social class system is most relevant. So go and break it down. Maybe eat with somebody who you haven't seen in a while that you need to catch up with. Do like Jesus did and eat with somebody who's not like you and see how God uses that to expand the way that you feel about the humanity of all people. Maybe, just maybe have a family meal. I know this is something that we seem to have gotten away from in our fast food culture, but I gotta tell you, when I come home and I say, hey guys, we're having a family meal tonight, you know what my son does? He says, dad, can we get pizza and watch a movie? No, we're gonna sit around the table, right? And we're gonna be together in some of our most meaningful moments as a family come around that table, get breakfast with a friend, invite your neighbors over for a meal to your house, or maybe throw a neighborhood barbecue. You know, one of the things my buddy Gene talked me into before it got really cold last um, fall was to have a neighborhood barbecue. And we did. We just invited a bunch of people. He got out the deep fryer and deep fried some Oreos. And I gotta tell you, you wanna get people around a table? You deep fry some Oreos, okay? People show up like crazy. We deep fried some Oreos and we just sat around tables and we got to know our neighbors. This is easy, y'all. We can go and we can eat and we can eat strategically. So, your homework go and eat with three people. Bless three people. But a few ground rules to the eating side, okay? I want to make sure you know this. The first one is remove the distractions. Far too often, I walk into a place where people are eating and this is what they're doing. Hey, what's up? Take the phones. Put them in the phone basket. Put them in the other room. Silence it. Turn it off. When you sit down to eat with somebody, be present. The second thing, don't make people projects going unarmed, ready just to be present. The third rule, don't judge. This is important. You might sit down with somebody who has a different eating or drinking habit than you. Your job is not to judge them in the moment. You are there to be present, not prosecutor. Okay? And the fourth rule, if you're able, buy. Or cook, if you're old school, you can do that as well, okay? But you take care of the other person's meal, and guess what? You knock out two weeks' worth of homework at once. You get to bless somebody and eat with them. There you go. We can do this. Go eat, and while you're at it, surprise the world. This shouldn't be a radical idea to us. After all, we eat together every single week here. You know, we share in the communion meal often. I thought, what better way to end this message than around a table, together, eating with one another. You know, this meal—it's one of the most important in Jesus's ministry. It took place in the upper room of a home in Jerusalem, and Jesus he used the table just like this to change the world. It was at that meal that he used a couple of symbols to foretell what's to come. He used bread and he used a cup to talk about his body that would be beaten and his blood that would be poured out for us. And I can imagine the tension around that table as he spoke and the disciples caught on to what was to come, yet it was around a meal that Jesus changed everything for everyone, for all of time. And we're gonna celebrate that meal now. We're going to start by practicing a meal together, a meal that celebrates who Jesus is, the surprising love of our God so that we then can be sent out to do the same. So communion ushers at all of our campuses, go on and take your place. And we're going to read in Matthew 26, Jesus' words around this table. And then we're going to pray. And then we're going to share in the communion meal together. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread And he had given thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you and my Father's kingdom. You see the hospitality. Character, the love of God. It looks like a meal. It looks like a table. And the table that Jesus sat around in this moment, it not only surprised the world, it also changed it forever. Let's pray. Uh, God, we come to your table, God, to celebrate and to remember your sacrifice for us that God, this meal with your disciples, it absolutely changed the world, God. It changed everything. It was the most surprising moment in all of scripture when you revealed the plan. And so God, here in these next few moments, uh, we come to this table, God, thankful for your love for us. But God, also asking for inspiration to go out and live like you. That God, we would use the table. We would see the table. We would take the opportunity to eat strategically, to have meals with people who we know need to know the importance of the meal we're about to participate in together. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.